Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. You know how it works by now, and the guests alongside me do as well, I hope. Uh, we've got two minutes to discuss each of these points, and the first of them we will do is free will, the phrase used by the BHA on social media, regrettably, which they came out subsequently and said after Henry Oliver flapping his arms at his horse at Utoxeter, it was suggested that he was making the horse run against its free will, Jim. Yes, well, there are strict rules about um, the starts procedure. There are strict rules about lots of things in racing. Uh, no trainers rep allowed at the start without permission. I gather. I'm not sure that he got. Permission. He didn't get. No, Henry didn't get permission to go down. So that was an infringement. So he was to, to start with. He was in the wrong. Under no circumstances will a trainer or his rep be allowed to encourage his horse physically, verbally, or using any other means to lead the stalls brackets or to jump off in a race not from stalls for the av avoidance of doubt. Carrying whips, these are the BHA's words, not mine, um, striking a horse, using tins of stones to rattle or blowing whistles, etc., are banned. Now that is, aside from a, a horse welfare issue, that is because it, it's deemed to give your horse an unfair advantage if it doesn't want to start to, to make it start. I suppose, Kim, that the fact that the term free will was used, is, it brought it into the, to the realms of a welfare issue as if it was, you know, horse welfare, as if Henry Oliver was doing something to infringe upon the horse's welfare by forcing it to start. That seemed to be the, the mistake that was made. Mm, I think free will is the wrong terminology. It's the wrong headline for the whole situation, really. Um, he broke the rules. Let's be honest about it. He broke the rules. He didn't have permission to get out of the start. But having said that, you know, you, you can get permission to lead a horse into the start. Mm. Um, and you can bring it in, and and so it, 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 it's slightly it's slightly pushing the, the the boundaries in two different directions. I think if he'd been given permission to go to the start and waved his arms, he might have got away with it. But the fact he didn't, they're going to turn around and say, "Hey, hang on here, you've been a naughty boy. You shouldn't have been there in the first place." Um, slightly old-fashioned as I am, I would have turned up to him and said, taken him aside and said, "Look, I'm not terribly sure it's a really good idea. Get yourself sorted next time. If you want to get down to the start, get permission. Make sure you're out of the way, um, and then lead your horse in." Um, rather than actually going and finding him. Um, I think the finding drew a, a large black line under something which needn't have happened. And more on that uh, when Gary Witherford joins us a little bit later in the show. There'll be a little bit more on this as well. But the uh, fatalities report, which has come out and been really across all, all uh, news mediums a, a, across the country, because this is what really puts horse racing in the limelight, when uh, fatalities are up on last year, 0.22% compared to 0.18% this year. They're up. For all, it's a downward trend in the last decade, Jim. Um, the BHA will, will have to be seen to, to react to this, and they are doing so. The, the, so much of the work that the BHA does is good, and then, uh, in my experience, the last four or five years, spoiled by a silly statement or misuse of stats, we do care racing. If you look at the, the, the procedures and a lot on uh, the BHA's website, what they're doing uh, in this field, including on this subject, it's all laid out well. They're using decent people or, or, or thoroughly qualified people. And to the wider public, there are plausible, uh, plausible answers and statistics kept. Um, OK, the, the number of horses killed was slightly up this year, more so, I think, on the all-weather than um, uh, any other area. But uh, basically, the five-year average um, is, is, is dropping. Are you surprised, Kim, that, that given the, the current times and the work that the BHA and the, the industry as a whole has done um, on this, are you surprised that, that fatalities have risen in the last year? And what, what might it be down to, do you think? I think that um, it, it, the chances are that a lot of it's done 
um, because there are more horses in training and more horses racing. Um, but as Jim was rightly saying, there's more of the racing now, so therefore there's, there's you know, more horses running quicker and not having a long break between one race to the other. Um, and, and sadly, fatalities, you know, it is part of the sport, and it's an awful way of looking at it. It's something that, you know, we hate, obviously, but it's, you know, it, it's a sport that creates, has its problems. You, you know, you're taking on um, horses running against each other, they're going to, you know, they're going to hurt themselves, unfortunately. And it's a sport, that's what's important to remember, and sometimes you get the impression the BHA doesn't. It's a sport, it's a tough sport at times, it's not Neverland. No, and if you, if you take it from there, away from racing for a second, I mean, eventing has suffered badly from this because at the end of it, they have a, a slower form of, of transport. I mean, the, the horses are going, so you have rotational falls and, and they've had one or two really rather nasty accidents with human beings involved as well. Um, and yet you don't hear quite as much about it. Um, and, you know, again, if you have a marathon, someone drops down dead, they don't try and ban marathons. Absolutely. We will go on to shoeing now. Um, this isn't the, the sort of BHA assault treble. It's not meant to be not meant to be performing like this, but this is another issue. And as actually Sam Tristan Davis said in his column as well, he's been surprised by the reaction to all of these recently. And the BHA do a lot of good, but it doesn't get in the headlines as much as, as, as perhaps the negative stuff does. But this, again, and I'm sure you'll have something to say on this, Kim, um, Certainly some trainers have come out and said, we weren't consulted on this. This is that, that um, horses should be fully shod in jumps races. They've now put that back six months. We discussed it a little bit last week. But what's your take on, on, on it being a law, a, a rule? As you, if well, you like? I don't think it should be a, a law or a rule. Um, I think it should be voluntary. I think if you don't want to run your horses in, in hind shoes, yes, then I'm just ring up the BHA and say, I'm running my horse tomorrow without hind shoes, and that should be the end of it. Um, I think we're, we're putting ourselves in a really difficult situation here because there are horses that don't... I mean, I've had horses in the past you couldn't get a pair of hind shoes on because at the end of it they just wouldn't take them. Um, and that's, I think, the only horse I've ever run without hind shoes. Um, but, you know, some old trainers... Not old being the wrong word, but some trainers... Experience. Um, uh, um, ...do believe that actually some horses do hurt themselves by their hind legs hitting their front legs. Um, and with a shoe on, it creates more of a problem. I can understand flat racing because the speed becomes a big issue and they're slipping. Um, jump racing is a, is a different situation here. Um, I think if they just use a little bit of common sense and say it should be voluntary, but tell the BHA what you're doing. Um, the, the thing that gets my goat about this is, again, the BHA statement all looks wonderful. They've spent two years analysing this, two years analysing this, and yet it's being deferred because trainers have raised a problem about tendon injuries. Some trainers actually say it can be detrimental to run a horse in hind shoes because of tendon injuries. Now, surely, if they've been researching it for two years, they've looked into all of this. Anyway, they're going to, um, in summary, uh, have a six-month period where they look into uh, uh, whether this is actually true, the concerns raised by uh, a handful of trainers in particular, and make a decision. Uh, next, Cliff Lyons saddling his, uh, or his last winner as a trainer, and, and, and this is a celebration of what he'd achieved a, a long time in the sport and um, rode Shergar, et al, uh, as a work rider. Uh, do, you, do you know him personally and what a great success this was? Only to say hello to, but I mean, to be, imagine... Shergar, a, a name that I think everybody, because of the, the sad thing that happened to him after he finished racing, yeah. but a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful racehorse, one of the best I've ever seen, uh, to be associated with that kid. I mean, it's always with you. Um, well, because I'm in the end of it, there were only very few people who are still around who were, and, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, think it, I think it's amazing. Um, and I, I, I never met the chap, um, and I wish him the very best of luck to keep going on um, training at that stage of your career, at that stage of your age, is, is great. So, 
good. I mean, at the end of it, you admire what he's done. I think he's done a fantastic job. And, and to be able to go to, you know, and say, oh, I rode Shogar, I mean, everybody knows him. Yeah, and to then, at the end of your career, to because to, to, it was sort of built up in the paper, I hope he can get out and, and, and go forward and mm. give me this fairy tale ending. And sometimes we do get these fairy tale endings yeah. in, in this well, story. Well, well, it's great, and I think a lot of people might not have known who he was until they mm. read that uh, this was happening. Then, of course, he goes and has the winner. So it um, creates more interest. It is uh, unbelievable to think that somebody who did that then went on and, and stayed training for, for such a long time. But we talk about retention in the sport and about how difficult it can be, but, but, but some people, they, they don't go away with... I suppose you don't know anything else to some extent, do you? you? You stay in the sport that you love and that's given you so much. If, you, if you're fit and well and you love what you're doing, why should you retire? Mm. Get bored very quickly. <laughs> well, I said... Kim, not that we like harking back to these times, but there were plenty of people who said, well, he's still going, and look now, you know, this, it's, it's, you know the, the, the glory days are, are back. And, and, but then people always said, well, Kim was so stubborn, he was never going to go anywhere. Yeah, well, funny enough, I, I'm having a free, free February of alcohol, um, and, um, um, which I've never done before. And let me tell you, I'm, and I'm having lunch with you in two weeks' time, so be warned, it'll be lemonade only. You've chosen February because it's the shortest uh, month, It's the shortest month, obviously, and there are various <laughs> other things that happen in February that don't happen in January. So, but my, my assistant had that... Uh, and, uh, Matt Nichols at the races with me yesterday, and they were all trying to persuade me to to have a drink before and after, obviously, vindication running. And uh, Matt just turned around and said, "You won't succeed. He's too bloody stubborn." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go, exactly. Uh, well, uh, this is a follow-up really to last week. Uh, the Godolphin U-turn on uh, work riders having to uh, weigh a ten, just under ten and a half stone. Now we're, we're bringing this in because we talked about it last week. And off the back of that, they've effectively taken down the notice and said this doesn't have to be the case now um, in their yards. Which, well, look, first of all, they've got every right. They run an operation, don't they, to, to say if this is how we want to operate, this, this is the case. For all, they've, they've made that U-turn on, well, on, on rider welfare issues. Well, I would have thought so. Um, but if they, you know, the, the, there's been enough opposition to it and, and uh, they, they feel they've got the staff because uh, off the back of that, there are, there are lots of staffing problems in racing and they feel they haven't got a, an issue because of that, then fine, if that's what they want to do. I suppose it's different in a, a minimum weight in a jumps yard because they're different animals, they're different horses and, and, and they're going to be carrying more weight on their back anyway. But, I mean, it's not something that... that you, as a trainer, have ever become accustomed to? No, I know, we, we, know we, we, we don't, we, if we've got someone who's 14 stone, um, most probably they don't ride work, um, <laughs> let alone ride out, possibly. But at the end of it, it's a different form of training as well. Um, you know, but these flat horses are, are, are ridden out on their flat work, and therefore they do, they want similar weights between each other. And then, you go, again, you go back to the hills, they used to be weighed on a regular basis. You go down to the Todds of this world who train at Manton. These, these lads were locked up and measured, measured and, and, you know, for height and also for weight every single week. Um, and that's how, so that they knew, and they had weight cloths on certain horses to make sure they were carrying more weight than others. Um, this would have gone completely out the window. No one would notice if someone hadn't leaked it to the press, and then of course everybody goes mad about it. And of course, it's not just it happens in other yards as well. There are minimum weight requirements in there as well. And you know, it's it's well known that Godolphin pay their staff very well in comparison to some others in the industry. Tom, it's a part of life. I mean, it's the, a non-entity jo story. Jo jo jockey's weights have risen. Still got all ten the seconds to fill up. <laughs> that's the trouble. Jockey's weights have risen all the time I've been in in racing. You know, the minimum weight that they carry, uh, the weights that horses carry in races have had to adjust. We're, ad we're adapting to society, and I suppose Godolphin were trying to do that. Uh, we touched upon this earlier on, but the, 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 not, not necessarily just about the, the race at the festival, the, the mayor's hurdle. Has it changed the shape of the festival, to, to your mind, Jim, for the better or for the worse, or, or it's there and we, we've, 
we've got to stick with it. This is obviously off the back of Apple's Jade potentially going there as opposed to a champion hurt. Well, it's, it's, it's certainly provoked a lot of chat. If you um, add a day to something, um, a, a significant chunk, put on a certain conditions races, you can't bleat if some people say uh, uh, the same argument was launched when the Ryanair, or what, when, it was, uh, when it first came in, it wasn't called the Ryanair, but when the Ryanair came in, it'll take away horses from the Gold Cup, it'll take away horses from the two-mile champion chase. Um, the Fred Winter handicap hurdle will take away horses from the Triumph, and now you've got, oh, the Mayor's hurdles taking away horses from, from the champion hurdle. It was inevitable. And Sam Hoskins wrote on Twitter yesterday, man who runs Hot to Trot Racing and, and other um, important syndicates from a, from a breeding perspective, saying that it's hugely important, the mayor's hurdle, that we get a chance to measure mares against each other and how good they are because it has ramifications throughout the breeding world. Do you, what do you think? Does it, does it serve its purpose that way or not necessarily? I, 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 you can't say anything other than having mares races, the same as happened on the flat. I was sceptical because I think I'd, I'd much prefer as much open competition as possible. But, but having mares, provided you know, hopefully they stay in racing, I think has been a good thing, particularly for jumping. And they are getting better quality. It's been a huge, huge plus for jump racing because at the end of it, five, six years ago, you, you could buy a mare for nothing. I mean, they gave them away. Um, there was no encouragement for them to race. And uh, uh, Robert Wadecombe was the I think was the person who came up with this idea of having mares races at Cheltenham. You know, five days, four days at the moment, five days. They're going to have to start filling other things if they ever go to five days. It's filled a it's filled a gap. It's encouraged people to buy mares. It's encouraged trainers to buy mares. I buy quite a considerable number mm. of mares now, and and it's you know it's that dream of going to Cheltenham. And if you have a horse that's good enough to go to Cheltenham and it happens to be a mare and it's a mare's race. Tremendous. That is it for this week's Talking Points. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai.